0: From the website Girlfriendit.com and the movement Girlfriendit, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on TogiNet.com.
1: Well, hello and welcome to Girlfriendit. We have an amazing show today. We are going to be talking with Drew Hill, an author of his new book, Alongside Loving Teenagers with the Gospel. And we also have Lisa Jernigan is back after evaporating for the last month. oh! <laughs> uh, Lisa, you've been out there uh, truly solving world peace around the world. And you are gonna share with us, hopefully you don't know this yet, but two places that you've gone to recently in the last month and all these fabulous experiences that we can learn and live vicariously through you. But before we um, get too far into our show, you're listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. Um, With that, Lisa, you are going to dive in and tell us a couple places that I know that's hard. I actually don't even like that question. Have you ever been sitting around? like the dinner table with all these fabulous friends and they'll go, okay, what's your number one favorite place in the world that you've traveled to? And it's like, Oh no, you, you can't say that. Cause you can, you kind of make it up like, Oh, okay. I guess it was Switzerland because you have no time to think, <laughs> but it's too hard to go. What was your favorite thing? It's like, okay, the whole experience was amazing, but I'm going to go ahead and put that on you right now and make you, Give us two places
2: and two experiences. Well, bless your heart. And I say that because I just came back from Alabama and Mississippi where, you know, drink sweet tea and doing all that stuff. But you're right. When you ask that question, it's like, it's like when somebody asks the question, you know, um, what's your favorite life experience or what's the highlight of your, and you're like, I don't know. That always puts me in a deep hole because it's like, it shuts me down. I can't think. So yes. being put on the spot right now, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> you know it has happened but I've missed you guys. Let me say that. um our sound engineer Ben and you, and just the party time that we get to have on the radio on Thursday morning, so I've missed this time, so it's good to be back. but uh like you said, I have been traveling, and it's so hard because um i had I had a several trips um over in Europe and then in the states, and um several of them were back to back, so it's like I was kind of in the place of jet lagged in between um so I'm still trying to process and catch up. So this might be processing out loud, which Patty, you and me love to do. Um, and and, it, and what means it's unfiltered. So I'm not responsible from this point for what comes out of my mouth as I process out loud with, with That's people. That's your disclaimer right there? That's my disclaimer. And, I, and I'm sticking to it. So, um, well, talking about uh, the South, I'll, I'll go that one. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, both of our moms were from... Actually, Memphis from Tennessee, and so we both have roots in the South. And um, I've been kind of exploring over the past several years, like engaging in various narratives um, overseas and different countries and different conflicts and, and conflict zones. And I just, you know, a couple of years ago went went okay, I'm I'm learning and listening to some of these other conflicts and narratives, but I don't really even know to the depth, our own country's narrative, and especially, um, I'm not trying to go political at all. And I don't want to go political. I want to go um, just from a human point of view, like what's really going on in our own country um, as with the racial narrative. And so you see that played out in many different ways. And people have so many different opinions. And you're seeing a lot of hatred around it and division and violence. And so it's like, okay, so really what's going on? And you know, to, to really dive in, it's like, there's some systemic levels of, of injustice that are here that it doesn't just happen out of a vacuum. And so just, uh, spent some time with a, with a small group and we went to some of the places in the South. Um, I had to join the group mid trip because I was in, um, coming from another trip, but the trip started like in, in new Orleans, um, kind of going into those places and hearing the narratives where um, New Orleans was a place where some of the first uh, slave ships came in. It's also where a lot of the uh, first nations, Native Americans were and had, had, uh, had their communities. And so just kind of, you know, who were the first people, who were the people here before us and going back in that narrative and what has transpired over, over time. And see so New Orleans was a great place. One of the, one of the places in New Orleans, um, that they visited, which I had been on a trip there last year, is going even to a plantation. And um, so, Patty, when you think—I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot. When you think of a plantation, and from what you learned um, in school, what what images and what comes to mind?
1: Well, I think of Scarlett O'Hare, huh, and her her fighting for her plantation, and and the whole war, and of course.
2: Rhett Butler does that does that say how deep my thoughts go (laughs) and then you probably go to uh Carol Burnett skit with uh you know Carol coming down the the uh, stairway with the drapes over her shoulders do you remember that scene I I wouldn't have gone there but but I I, I'm following you okay and I'm and I'm dating ourselves probably but no (laughs) you go to the you know the like the these southern bells, right? You go to the beautiful plantations, the the amazing, you know, lawns. That's the imagery that we we think of. And so we we like, what would what would it be like to experience a plantation from a different narrative, from the narrative of those who worked there, those who made all that happen, which would be the slaves. Those who worked. I
1: actually did, Lisa. I went to my head went to Roots. Remember that show? But all entertainment is what brings up our, you know, past. You look at it through what you've seen in movies and TV.
2: Absolutely right. And that's all you think about and you don't really go beyond that. Yeah. And it's like, and I remember even traveling years ago, going, "I want to see a beautiful plantation," and we forget that there's so much more to that narrative, to that story, because to have a beautiful plantation. It took a lot of laborers and slaves, they were called um, to work those places, to work the fields. And then, so you go into like, well, how did they live? What was a day like for them? Um, What were the surroundings? And so you just kind of dive into that narrative and you see it from that perspective, from that lens, which is fascinating um, because we don't always see stories from different lenses. We generally just see them from one perspective and we kind of hang on to that one. So Um, that whole narrative, we actually went to Selma, Alabama, and I had never been there. And I, you know, I'd heard from, you know, history books and different things, you know, when they, the civil rights movement marching across the Selma bridge and um, Bloody Sunday and what happened there and Martin Luther King Jr. So I knew bits and pieces of it, um, but not totally. So we went there and talked with people and talked with people who had even been around during that time. And then as our little small group, we walked across the Selma bridge and Mm, just kind of thought of things. So, you know, what would have been like? So tried to really just engage on a different level than We weren't there as tourists, um, just walking the bridge. We were truly there to to really understand the significance of all that has taken place there. So um, it was very interesting. One thing I discovered, which has really been haunting me is in Selma today, Um, there is no uh, school bus system for for children. There's Mm -hmm. no public transportation in 2018. Ah. So there's no bus system for the children to get to school, which you look at it and it just continues to um, perpetuate the the system of poverty, right? If you can't get educated and, you know, parents aren't able to take their kids to school because they have to get to work. And so you just start understanding the different layers of, systemic injustice. And I know I'm going really deep here and I'll stop there, but it was fascinating because I was there just as a learner and just to like, okay, what don't I know? And what, 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 what can I learn about this? And then how do I even apply it to my own life and my own beliefs? So it was very fascinating. Um, and just to be in those places that you hear about and you see, and just to understand from a different perspective. So, um, that was my thing. (laughs) <laughs> um, and it was, it was fascinating, right? And and the South and the South is beautiful and it's a whole different culture. And, but to understand uh, the depth of all of that and, um, and, and cause my family was all, was from Alabama and Tennessee and you just start going and, you know, visiting cousins, visiting, visiting there in the summertime. And so it was just a place that was very interesting and we were just on a journey together and um, it was, it was quite cool. One of the things is, it was interesting. We were in, um, Montgomery, Alabama. The day that Lester Holt, um, the you know the news uh, guy from MSNBC, and he was doing his across America tour, and he was in Montgomery that day. And you would have thought like a world leader was there. I mean, the city they had a marching band. So we, we were we were doing the stops that day because there's like Rosa Parks is uh, the bus stop where Rosa Parks got on the bus and. There's a church that Martin Luther King Jr. had pastored for like six years. And so we did all those places and we did them in the morning in Lester Holt. So Lester Holt followed us. He, uh, he did all those things that later in the day. And so that was kind of interesting just to see um, like all the security, things are shut down and I literally marching bands, everything for Lester Holt doing his nightly news from Montgomery, Alabama. So that was kind wow. of a fun thing. Yeah, wow. right. I got to
1: tell you, because, you know, my my story will always top your stories Um, when you're talking about uh, it. You would have thought, you know, like the president was there while you were gone. The president was here. You left and the president came here to see you. And uh, President Trump, it was funny because I just took off to go to Portland and I'm sitting there and and there, lo and behold, is Air Force One on the tarmac. And the guy I was sitting next to said, wait did I just see the air force one? (laughs) Like, is that sitting here in Phoenix, sky Harbor? I'm like, yeah, of course I I didn't get my camera up fast enough. So I could send that picture to you to go, I don't
2: know where you are, but I'm here at the air force one. Okay. I can match your story because I came in that night. So I got in at 1130 that night and my husband was out of town and I had no right. So I was going to get an Uber home, which I haven't done that before. And I could not get on the internet. And you know how we can, we're like technically yeah. challenged and I'm trying to get Uber and I'm like, okay, I'm putting in the right address, I'm putting in where I am at and nothing would happen. And So I finally went to this gal and the information, I said, help me, I can't get on to get an Uber. And she's like, well, I gotta tell you that there's no bandwidth because um, somebody yeah. came to the town and all the secret service and I'm like, is this Trump here? She's like, yes. So I was there two hours <laughs> after Trump got there. So I, I can match your story. And whatever, so we're gonna take a quick break. We are done, we're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna come right back sharing more stories. We'll be right back with Girlfriend at Radio.
0: For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
3: Just as you need to give your car gasoline or diesel to fuel it, you need to give your body the right kind of fuel also. I am often asked, should I eat before I work out? The answer is yes. Cooper Aerobics Center recommends that you eat oatmeal or another hot cereal, a plain English muffin, toast or mini bagel, Low-fat or fat-free regular or Greek yogurt, a fruit smoothie, or a snack bar before you work out. Eating a piece of fruit is a fabulous choice because it is low-calorie, packed with vitamins and minerals, and carbohydrates are the optimal fuel source to consume before a workout. Your body requires carbohydrates, and they are absorbed very quickly. Eating an apple or banana on your way to the gym is a good idea and will fuel your body for the workout ahead.
1: Girlfriend it and you are in for a delightful show, if we do say so ourselves. We are going to be chatting with Drew Hill about his new book alongside Loving Teenagers with the Gospel. But we are also playing catch up with Lisa Jernigan as she goes through her travels in the last month. And of course, she just topped my Donald Trump story. And uh so we're gonna jump back in, Lise, because as you were sharing all this. Uh, I'm sure our listeners are going, wait, wh- why are you doing all these things? And so explain why you're in the South. Is this an actual tour group that you were on? Or you decided you woke up one morning and said, I think I need to go over the Selma Bridge. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Maybe it's all of the above. Can that be an answer? That's true. That's yeah. true. Uh huh. No, so a- actually uh, a group called Amplify Peace with with a group called Telos. And this group uh, together we're trying to create trips like how do we understand more deeply our own um, country's history? How do we understand some of the issues in our own country that are causing division and hatred? And one of them, one of the the narratives is this our whole racial narrative. So we wanted, we took a small group um, on an exploratory trip to go to some of these places that we've heard about or read about and to actually go there to meet with people there and say, share with us uh, from your perspective. Tell us your story. Tell us. And so we just sat in places where we just like listened to various um, perspectives, various narratives um, on the whole this whole topic and issue, and um, to understand the, the layers of systemic ju- injustice. To understand um, even what's happening still today and the threads that connect back to the past. And so. We, we just sat in places with some amazing people who understand the pain of it and have understood it's been in their family and it's in today, still wrestling with it. So we were, we're there to create trips to, to have other people who want to to experience this, to want to learn more. And it's not to take sides, it's to there. how do we totally lean in and value every human being and how do we just see more completed stories? And so that's what that trip was all about. And um and then I love that um, we both experienced Trump because so many times we always have this unspoken competition, you and me, on our experiences. So that was kind of fun to know you were flying out as I was flying in and we both experienced um, Air Force One. So <laughs> I love that. I love that. I, you still I, I could like match you. So that was like that was a major accomplishment for me. Um, so anyway, that was good. Um, and I'll just share one thing really quick because you asked me to share. I was like in uh, in, in Austria and in Vienna um, on one of the trips, and we were with a group um, called 24-7 Prayer. And they were just bringing – I'm still learning about the group, but we were there to learn. They were bringing prayer and connecting Catholics and Protestants and all people there in the old cathedral, St. Stephen, Stephen's, there in the heart of Vienna and having just a time of um, – just prayer and, and time and just sharing together and bringing people together in unity. And they had like over 4,000 people show up and it was just an amazing event because you hear of things in Europe where, you know, especially like the church or people, but it's like, it's, it's very much alive and um, some wonderful things are happening, especially with youth. So that was an encouraging trip. And, and, you know, I love all things historical. So I love like, you know, walking around the old square and, um, just seeing history and, and so, and all those, the architecture and the building and the food. So it was it was pretty cool. So I am done talking and rambling and having story time. I want to hear you've been on some trips too, and you've been doing some stuff that, and I know also with our, our guests today talking alongside, this is how issue of parenting. And, um, I know that's a challenge for one, whatever age and stage you are in life with your kids, just trying to understand that. So, um, just kind of share. You work with a lot of teenagers, and um, and you still have teenagers at your house. But um, but just you know, what are we seeing in our culture? And um, and then just what are, you are seeing as you've been traveling and just working with people and just the conversation? So I'm now gonna I'm gonna put the mic on you.
1: <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because you know we're tr- we're trying to focus. You and I have always been on five tracks, and it's like okay, how do we do this when we really theme out a show? And we realize you know what that's not who we are. We're not going to be. So, but yet everything that you said, it really does go into, you know, when you're talking about the racial issues, the 24 seven, you know, we need prayer. You're talking about what took place where you're seeing exciting things happening with the youth and, and conflict. And I know asking me what I've been doing lately, I don't know why God has me down on this path, but, I have been going down this path of negotiations where everything that I'm doing in my corporate training has been conflict and negotiations. And it seems like that's where in the corporate world, they really are pulling in that because of, like you said, what you just said, uh, why are we dealing with so much conflict? And as much as we want to be politically correct and as much as we want to go down this path of, of no bullying and, and uh, look at some of the issues that have, you know, taken place in the past, it seems like we are more uh, divided now than we ever have been. And it does go back to the human needs. We're not looking um, or, or we are, we're just somehow jumping over how to humanize situations and how do we put people first rather than, you know, we're so driven by results. Like you said, the plantations, we want the end result, rather than looking at what it takes to get there, um, and with that, uh, going back to the conflict negotiations, and yet still trying to stay with our theme for alongside in youth, that you made a comment about, you know, tell us your story and understanding the layers and to not take sides, and that really resonated with me as a parent, and in, in you, you as well as a parent, that. As you're looking at teenagers, um, it's hard because your child isn't a little kid anymore. They're a teen or a tween, whatever. whoever you know, our listeners, what is, you're focusing on here. And it's time to tweak your parenting skills to keep up with them. And how do we stay relevant? How do we learn how to come alongside them truly and uh, put in our best efforts of being their friend, I think is important, but being able to parent because they really are listening to, to what you have to say. And so I want to get into that um, a little bit more before we have Drew Hill on in the next uh, five minutes. But what are some things, Lisa, that you found? I know you and I have talked about, you know, sweating the small stuff. You used to tell me, you know, pick your battles, Maybe mm-hmm. that you don't like your daughter's haircut or her choice of clothes or your son coloring his hair purple or blue. Uh, but perhaps you look at a bigger picture here before you step in and go, hmm, let's figure out why you want to wear and dress that way and why you want to color your hair um, you know, purple. And maybe we're not staying as relevant with that. I, I know right now the vaping is – so out of control because they're not just vaping just your, your normal, whatever, cotton candy steam. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Instead, it's things that are, they're taking them to the emergency room. So Mm -hmm. how do we have these conversations where your kids are coming to you and talking to you? And uh, I know you and I share that, that sometimes our kids tell us way too much and you don't even want to know what their friends are doing, but it's having those conversations. You'd be shocked when you talk and come alongside what they will tell you.
2: That is so true. And I'm I'm just listening because it's like, um, though my kids are grown, I remember those days and, and it's still, you know, you still have to, I still want to stay current, even with my kids as they are adults. And I think part of that is, um, how do we continue to grow, um, personally and in, in this area and, and stay relevant. And I think, you know, you and I have talked a lot about how do we create those uh, safe spaces where our kids can tell us something that we're not, we don't respond in shock and horror, because that just shuts the conversation down. But how do we lean in and, and, you know, to, to truly listen to them without um, putting our opinions or our judgment on them, but listen to them, because there is more there's something that's deeper there that they really want to talk to and who can they talk to? Um, and you know, I think we both have always said we'd rather our kids talk to us and we, you know, it's hard as it may be to hear some things, but instead of talking in the locker room or talking wherever, it's like we want to create those safe places at home. And we also we're talking how we just don't want to be naive and realizing our kids are, um, capable, like we are capable of anything. Right. And, and so how do you just, you know, how do you hold that balance there, which is, is kind of tricky and it's hard, um, realizing we're all capable, but also wanting to hear and be able to help kind of guide them into their own discovery of, of what's appropriate and what's not. I, I, so like with you, like even all your stuff with negotiations, I know we only have two minutes um, for you to go deep with us, but like, how do you see that applying to even parenting?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing is truly sitting down and listening to understand. We as parents, you know, just like we, you just don't want that loss of control. So as soon as your child starts talking, we have a tendency to put so much emphasis on obedience and you want them to fall into line. But it's like at what price? So you can get really rigid and miss out on the chance to develop problem solving or leadership skills because you're making decisions for them. And rather than listening to them, so mm-hmm. as soon as you see them do, doing something, I know I have a tendency because I was raised in a very authoritative, you know, Navy father uh, who was also a cop, and and definitely <laughs> you're told what to do rather than um, asking powerful questions to go, what would you do in this scenario, or help me understand why these choices were made. So they have to really think, and that's the same thing with negotiations. Uh, you know, like hostage negotiations, you're, you're truly, when someone feels heard, then they're going to share. Mm -hmm. If they feel that you're trying to control them, then that's when chaos is going to start taking place. Cause that's the whole reason why usually they're doing what they're doing is they want something out of it. Mm -hmm. And um, teens are the same way. How, how do we help them come to the conclusion and be empathetic, still maintain their self-esteem and support them and get their involvement and get their buy-in where it's their choices, not your choice of what you want them to do. So it, it really is. Negotiations, really, everyone can learn just by a teenager. And, and with that, I know we, we we're running out of time. When we come back, we are going to be chatting with Drew Hill, and we hope that you will go grab some more coffee and come back right after this message.
0: This is Girlfriend It on Toginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended radio right
2: after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California.
0: This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Jirasi, Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of paying it forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Jirasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's paying it forward with tips, tools, and advice and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Jirasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central, on DoggyNet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa.
1: All right, we are back. And as promised, we have Drew Hill on the show with us. We've kidnapped him for the next 30 minutes to give us all of his tips, tools, and techniques on how we can come alongside our teenagers and love them with the gospel. And Drew, we're so excited to unpack your new book, uh, you have uh, been with Young Life forever and ever, and you're a pastor as well as an author, and you have three children, I believe, and what I love is that their names are Honey, Hutch, and Macy Hart. Is that true?
4: Yes, it is. They um, they are a mess. They are currently upstairs in our basement, and my wife is at a parent-teacher conference, and I told them... You need to stay in front of the TV while well, I go tell people how to spend time with 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 their kids. You just watch a screen and let that babysit you. So I am <laughs> betraying my own message right now as we speak, but they are, they are awesome. They are only nine, six, and four years old. I, I was convinced that I could not have any authority to write a book about parenting or walking alongside teenagers after I had raised my own, so I had to do it before they were that old.
2: Okay, that is a true
1: statement. And Drew, I love that. I can't tell you how many times Lisa and I, we'd be doing ministry at my kitchen table, and my my youngest daughter would be sitting maybe doing somewhat of like, just not inappropriate, but things that you really should have been better at parenting. We'd watch her, you know, say something or, or watch, stare at the screen. And, you know, I'd look at her and go, am I okay with this? And we were like, yeah, we really need to get this done. Yeah. <laughs> and, guess what? They turned out okay. And they all love Jesus. So I guess, I guess mine, it's good.
4: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, it is. uh, It has been really great for me to write this book, but it's also been super convicting because I've realized um, a lot of the things that I've encouraged other people to do. I just realized how I don't practice that with my own kids on a regular basis. And so the, the Lord has really used it in my life to draw me closer to my kids through that and, re- and remind me of, of the message that we see in the life of Christ, which is what the book is really based on, is how do we love teenagers just as Christ loved the folks that he walked around with when he was on the earth.
1: Mm. Yeah, so tell us a little bit more about that. Like what, what started you and what stirred your soul to write this book? What happened in your life that you felt the desire to, to you know, write this book?
4: You know, it began for me when I was in middle school myself. I was at a summer camp, and I just was overcome by God's love for me. I think until that year of my 13th year of life, Christianity for me had really been just doing good and being a good person. And that summer, the Lord just kind of opened my eyes to His love for me, and I came home from that camp and told my pastor or church and my parents that I want to do youth ministry for the rest of my life, and, and I want to tell people who are my age right now about God's amazing love because I've experienced it. And so I went before my church of 5,000 people, um, Gary Chapman, who wrote the Five Love Languages, one of, mm-hmm. one of one of my pastors, and, and I went before them, and they commissioned me to a lifetime of youth ministry as a 13-year-old. And mm-hmm. ever since then, the Lord has just brought so many people in my path that have come to me with, with questions, you know, whether it's parents or people who are currently in youth ministry or young life leaders, and they um have just asked questions that I feel like I've I've been able to give some good answers to and, and over time I felt like the Lord was just calling me to write these things down and to be able to give it as a gift to folks and and he's really blessed it. I've been encouraged by it. It's been the hardest thing that I've ever done and my family's made a lot of sacrifices to get me the time on top of my job to, to write it down. But, mm-hmm. but it, I've just been encouraged by the messages that have come in from parents over and over saying, thank you for, for this. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I would love to uh, just kind of talk through what, what some of those basic messages look like um, today. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, it's yours. We would love to have you just some of the things that you have learned that were on your heart as you, as you began, but as we know, anytime you get into a project, there's a writing project or whatever, you start discovering things and it starts going in a direction that you maybe hadn't anticipated. So as you yeah. started getting into this and writing and going, okay, I think it's about this, but gosh, God's adding this and this layer and whatever, what are some of the things that have stood out to you that you're like, we really need to address this. And I even look back on, you know, my kids are now um, they're having kids. And so like in the past 15 years, life has dramatically changed with social media. Um, and it's a whole different way of parenting now than I even did. And it wasn't that long ago. So, you know, just as, as we parent and it's trying to say relevant, but there's still some basic core principles that don't change, but then you have to learn how to adjust them to kind of the culture around us. So can you just kind of dive into some of these things that you, have really learned as you have, you know, got into the layers of this?
4: Yes. You know, I started just kind of writing notes in, in just a Microsoft Word document when the publisher came to me and, and pitched this idea to me a few years ago. And then I was just debating, all right, how, how's the best way to frame this? And one day I was leading a Bible study with some high school kids and asked them a question that, I'd been asking them for years, and that somebody had stolen from someone else. But the question was, as you're reading the gospel stories, what do you see Jesus doing outside of the miracle? You know, we, we often, like, pay attention to the fact that, oh, Jesus healed this person, but what else do the gospel writers record in the story? And this is a great practice to do with people when studying the Bible and kind of look at not just what Jesus did, but how did he do it. And so I started to look at these stories, and I'm like, we can learn so much from Christ himself and how he relates to people that helps us relate to teenagers, because most of the folks that, um, you know, we anticipate that Jesus hung out with a lot of teenagers. We we don't know exactly how old the disciples were, but they were young men, and, and I think he modeled for us really well how to do it. So, for instance, like the woman who had been bleeding for, you know, a long, long time. It says, you know, he healed her, but if you read the story carefully, it also says that he listened to her whole story. And so I just try to unpack that in a practical way. What does it look like for us to actually listen to our kids' stories, and how do we get them to open up and tell them? And so one of the things that I talk about is just the importance of inviting other folks to come sit at your table with you. I talk a lot about the dinner table in the book and how we eat most of our meals now on the road and, and go into practice and go into to school, and you know, it's always in a hurry. But one of the things that Jesus did is he ate with people, and he invited other people to sit at that table. And I just tried to imagine, what would it have been like, Jesus sitting at a table with Zacchaeus and all these people who were viewed as sinners and the tax collectors? And what kind of conversation would that look like? And who's sitting at our dinner table? And It's really been a gift to our family as I've been processing this to invite other people to, to speak into our kids' lives. So often, parents of teenagers are at a place where they feel like, man, my kids aren't listening to me, but we don't know how to bring in other people who they will listen to and who can influence them, and you can have a 22-year-old college student sitting at your dinner table talking to your 15-year-old daughter, and maybe the college student's a Young Life leader or, or a youth leader in your church or just a friend or just someone you've met um, through, through church, and they can say the exact same thing that you've been saying, and your daughter might agree and be like, yes, yes, I totally understand that, and you're beating your head against the wall like that's what I've been telling you but they can hear it so differently (laughs) and so one of the things that I really encourage parents to do is to build this support team around their kids who is not just them speaking truth to them but what would happen when they graduate from high school and you have this graduation party and you invite these ten folks who've been praying for your child you know since they were young and speaking truth to them and just kind of having a a team and kind of a personal board of directors for them so there's a lot of practical ideas like that in the book, but they are all born out of these interactions that we see Jesus having with people.
1: Mm. I love the, uh, your personal board of directors. That's awesome. And, and I think, too, I mean, that I, I love that, like, creating space for people to come and have dinner and, and share. And often we don't even make time to spend time with our own kids, yet alone inviting like you said, you know, we're, we're eating on the road so so much that we get so caught up, once again, in, in the end results. Um, I want them to be able to play soccer. I want them to be the track star. I want them to, you know, do all these things, and you're not creating the space to have those conversations in between. Like,
4: yes. I heard, a, I heard a pastor ask the question one time, do you want your kids to be great at something? Or do you want your kids to be great? Because those are two really different things. Mm -hmm. Because if you want them to be great at something, be a great soccer player, then that's going to take, you know, a lot of practice or a great piano player or whatever. But what does Jesus say is the way to be great in our world? Well, it's to to be the least, you know, and to, if you want to be first, be last and to be a servant. And so, so often we spend so much time with our kids at soccer practice or piano practice, but very little time actually teaching them to serve and be a servant and what is developing that those character traits in them that 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 are building godliness in them what if we spent more time serving with them than we did them practicing something to be great at imagine that we would have really different kids when they graduated from high school
1: and that's such a good point you know are we serving with them because often i mean the enemy has come along and for whatever reason now instead of going to church You do have sports on Sunday. (laughs) Before that was such a taboo. And now, you know, I I serve in in the high school and so many of them, it's like, oh, I can't make it. I have a soccer game or I have, you know, they're traveling on the weekend, even down to I got to go to a dance, you know, whatever. But they're having to travel on the weekend to get there and they can't even be involved in church anymore, yet alone serve.
4: Yeah, that that's been something Natalie and I, my wife and I have really struggled with in this season because our oldest daughter, honey, is nine and she's getting that place where all of her friends are kind of becoming experts in their thing. Yeah. And I do think it's important for kids identity and confidence to have something that they're good at other than just, you know, serving other people, although that's important. And it, it does build confidence in them if they can be good at gymnastics or piano or, or soccer. Um but we have – our our daughter's wired a lot like me, and she wants to do everything. And so Natalie and I have had to be the bad guys and say, you know, you can only do one thing at a time And mm-hmm. um, because we really want to value our family time together. And if all three of our kids are having three different practices and three different things every week, then it's going to be really hard. And I know it's only going to get harder for us. And mm-hmm. so I'm trying to say this publicly now as accountability for when I'm facing it, you know, in a, in a much greater way in five years when she is in high school – that, you know, I, we want to be parents who are committed to things in the right order. We want to dump everything out of the bucket and then fill the bucket in the right order. You know, and that means, like, putting time with the Lord and time with family and time serving in that bucket before we get her to be great at something.
2: Exactly.
0: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
3: When it comes to your health, it's important to stay on top of your numbers. You need to know what your cholesterol numbers are, along with your blood sugar and blood pressure. Another number that's vital to be aware of is your waist circumference. Abdominal fat not only looks bad, but more importantly, it is criminal because it may release excess fatty acids or hormones that encourage inflammation, which are dangerous to your arteries. The fatty acids can contribute to insulin problems and plaque buildup. Keeping excess body fat at a minimum is important, but it's essential to keep fat off of your belly. Measure your waist circumference and be sure it's below 35 inches. Be diligent to exercise daily and eat good, healthy, low-fat foods to keep all excess body fat at bay. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond.
1: Chatting with Drew Hill, author of *Alongside Loving Teenagers with the Gospel*, and Drew writes, he consults, he regularly speaks to teenagers, parents, and youth workers. And Drew, you, we went into the commercial break, and you were talking about the significance of having meals, of inviting um, people into your home, and I love that. You know, you basically have your own set of board of directors that will breathe into your your children. And you write a lot about this because it's the principles of Jesus, of coming along and basically breaking bread together. But we, we say that it looks great on paper. How do you, what are some of the, the tips and tricks there on how you can make those opportunities there that you can sit down and eat together?
4: Yes, I mean, so much of it is a discipline. You know, we, put th- we do things that we put on our calendar, And uh, tell my wife and I, our kids are on fall break right now, and so I said, babe, if we don't get out of town, then I'm going to get distracted. People are going to need me and call me, and I'm going to, you know, it's going to be really hard for me. Um, I was like, we got to go out of town. She's like, but we need to switch our kids' rooms because they're moving into different rooms, and uh, we need to stay in town. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to turn off my phone, but I'm going to need you to help me make a calendar for how we're going to spend our day. When are we switching the rooms? When are we eating lunch? I need it all planned, or... It's just not going to happen, and and that's how I function, and that's how I think a lot of people function now. We're driven by our calendars. So we sit down and kind of have a weekly meeting, and we schedule out, hey, this is when we're having family dinners this week. This is when we're having a day of Sabbath and turning off our phones and not responding to other people. You know, This is when we're going to focus on just our our family time. And and if we don't schedule those things and we won't do them, I try to spend one day a month in solitude just alone with the Lord. And it is really hard, and things always come up that seem more important. And so I schedule it with a place where I have to pay and make a reservation in order to force myself to go. I think we've got to do the same thing when it comes to parenting our kids. We have some friends who do a great job. They have four kids, and they schedule one-on-one time with each of their kids once a month. And it sounds like, man, you're just hanging out with your kid one-on-one once a month. Well, that's a lot when you add it up with four kids. But they put it on their calendar, and the kids just look forward to it, and they talk about that time over and over again. We've got to put that stuff on our calendar. And another practical way to do it, in addition to just scheduling, hey, we're going to have this famous dinner around the table with no phones this week, is to figure out how to do some things where your kids can come with you. Like I'm, going, I'm speaking a, a few different times coming up, and I've told the folks that have asked me to come speak, you know, I would really love to bring my daughter with me. You know, I'll pay for her to come. Uh Is that okay for you if I bring her? And we just want to try to actually practice what we're preaching and walk alongside with our kids. What does it look like to show up at your kid's school and eat lunch with them? Well, that might feel really weird to your high schooler, but my guess is some of your sixth graders would really love that if you showed up at their school and brought them Chick-fil-A. Um, what does it look like to do kind of what you're already doing? If you're going to go for a run, what does it look like to ask your kid to go for a run with you? Um Or to better yet, do what they are doing. Become interested in the thing that they are already interested in. If they're wanting to spend time playing Fortnite, you know, instead of having this battle with them over how much time they're spending, what would happen if you actually learned to play Fortnite and you played with them? You know, for for some folks that that's not going to work, but for others, like the middle school boy, would maybe feel really pursued by his dad. I, I play guitar, and I've noticed recently that my son has he has this little pretend guitar and. Every time I pick up my guitar to play, he starts wanting to play too. And now teenagers are different, but they still long to be pursued by their parents and they still long to have their parents interested in the things that they're interested in. And so pay attention to what they're really getting into and learn about it. Ask them, make them the experts on what they're doing.
1: And you know, that, that is such a great tip, Drew. Uh, I know for me, I'm a huge runner and I love outdoors, all things, you know, outside. And I would continuously try to pursue them in such a way that met my needs. And which is, which is great. Like you said, if, if they're down for that. (laughs) And I always wanted them to get away from, you know, watching Netflix or staring at their screen. And Lisa and I, we would go into strip clubs once a month. And I actually had a, a, a stripper that was telling me, and I should call him an entertainer, not a stripper uh, that said I was sharing a little bit about, yeah, I'm trying to get my, you know, my kids, my teenager to do this. And she goes, well, what do they like to do? And I said, well, unfortunately, like, they like to watch Netflix. And she goes, would it be that that wrong just to sit there and watch Netflix with them? And it it really resonated with me because sometimes you don't always have to be in that parenting mode to go. You have to get out of the house. You have to come run. You have to come hike. like, yeah, and I did, and I took her advice, and I said, hey, what are you watching? Let's watch it together, and I didn't really want to watch some Disney movie, but it's what they were doing. Like you said, if they're playing Fortnite, then do that, even though I don't really care to play Xbox or whatever games that, you know, they're playing. I I think that's powerful.
4: How cool would it be for them to be like, yeah, my mom can kick your tail in Fortnite. (laughs) They (laughs) would love that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I can do the dance, okay? I can do one of the fortnight dances. Let's just leave it in Nice.
4: There. <laughs> nice. You, you know, another thing I write about, uh, a chapter in the book is, is called Walk, and it is about just the simple practice that we see Jesus doing with so many people and just walking with them. And since I wrote the book, I've just been doing it more and more, like just asking someone, instead of like meeting at a coffee shop or instead of you know meeting at church or at her house, hey, can we go on a walk together? Yesterday I went on a walk with a, 22-year-old girl and with her dad, and I drove them up to this botanical gardens, and we and we walked around, and just getting to walk beside each other opens up our minds and our hearts to where we can share in a different way. What would it look like for parents to just invite their teenager? Hey, would you go on a 10-minute walk with me after dinner tonight, just me and you? You know, they might roll their eyes, but deep down inside, they're gonna they're gonna really take that time and feel and re- look back on it and remember, like, man. My- my mom really wanted to spend time with me not to kill two birds with one stone and get exercise, but she actually just wanted to go and take a walk with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: It, it, that's powerful. And, and one of the things that I remember just in parenting, which is what you're saying is how do we really become a student of our, of our child, of our children? And, you know, with, I had two and they were both very different. And so what worked for one didn't work for the other. And just coming to, Kind of learn who your kids are and what resonates with them and how to, how, to, what's best communication with them is, is important, which is what you're saying too. So, and that, um, that
4: is so crucial, just understanding our kids, really like studying them, like we would study our, our job and what we, if we want to get better at marketing. We like are reading this and watching these YouTube videos. Well, what does it look like to really like read our kids? And to understand Mm -hmm. what they're going through and really try to put ourselves in their shoes and remember how difficult it is to be a teenager, especially in 2018 when your popularity is an actual number of likes that you have on a picture or Mm a number of followers that you have. It It is so hard. And so much of this book alongside is really written to help parents understand what is really going on with kids. I had a mom call me and say, hey, I read your book. And I just don't think that my kids are going through some of the things that you describe that they're going through. And I said, I, I hate to tell you this, but those quotes that I put in the book, they were – some of them were from your kids. And she was just devastated, like, no way. I was like, yes, your kids are facing this. They're going through this. And so the book, the beginning of the book is hard, and it's heavy, and, and it reveals, like, this is what kids are really facing. But then the rest of the book really just gives a lot of practical – Suggestions of hey these are these are ways you can learn how instead of in- making your kid feel like they're being interrogated when they get in the car after school how you can actually ask questions that make them feel cared for so mm-hmm. my my hope is is that it would be a gift to parents and they can pick it up at alongsideteenagers.com or on Amazon and and if there's you know my contacts on alongsideteenagers.com too and I'm happy to help parents any way I can. My, I really feel like the call that God has on my life is to be this translator between teenagers and their parents.
2: Mm. That's so needed right now. And, and parents, you know, need a, a tool. And where do I go? I, I find myself, if, if I'm in over my head. I don't really know how to navigate these waters and honor my child, but yet how do I draw the lines? And so this is so needed and knowing where to go to. And there's, there's resources. We just don't always know where the resources are. So I'm so glad you listen to God's call on your life and and you're engaged with this and giving so many great ideas. Well, we just have um, just under three minutes. And um, again, thank you for being a part of the show and sharing this. Is there, is there something else that you would just like to encourage parents that to find themselves in that place? Maybe they're walking in some, some, some hard times right now uh, with their child and they're feeling kind of like, I don't know what to do. Where do I start? Um, it's this going to turn out okay. I mean, I think those questions, and that there's no givens in life. We know that. But how would you encourage some of those parents?
4: You know, I write in the introduction of the book, which you can download and read the introduction on alongsideteenagers.com. But I write in the introduction, I said the main thing that I hope folks take away from this book is, is not knowing how to walk alongside the teenagers in your life. The main thing I hope folks take away is knowing that we have a God who actually walks alongside of us. And that we are not alone in this, and that God is with us, that the light of Christ shines through us to our kids, even when it doesn't seem like it. And we can walk this long road with this confidence that we are not alone, that He comes alongside of us. And and I think so often we are, we feel like, I've got to do it on my own. I've got to do it on my own when when Jesus is right there saying, I want to do it with you.
2: Mm. That's, that's so good. I think that is the thing. Sometimes you feel alone and you also feel that I think a lot of our, our pride is wrapped up in our parenting where it's like, I don't want to have to tell somebody it's not going well um, with my kids. Right. I don't want to make them look bad. And I don't want to make myself look bad. So I think sometimes we, we kind of just go through it in isolation. But um, just finding that community. Right. That's with you and finding somebody that you can share your story with and bring into it. Um it's, it's really critical, I think.
4: so yeah, we have a group um, of, we have a group of parents right now reading it together at our church and it's just been so freeing for them to see, oh, other people have these same struggles. I'm not alone in this.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, and it's important to know that because um, that that isolation of being alone, nothing really good happens in that place when we're feeling that way. But like you said, to know that God is with you and, and alongside you, and really relying on that. And then also, who do I need to surround? Be intentional, which is what you're saying so much of this. How do we be intentional with putting people around our table? How do we be intentional with, with creating time with our kids and with our family? It all It's about planning and being intentional um, and valuing, seeing that as a priority. So again, thank you, Drew, um, for sharing these and, and challenging each of us. And not just in our parenting, but in relationships with other people. So, again, thank you for listening to Girlfriend It Radio. Hope you have a great day.
0: Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show